Last week we wrapped up our series. What was the name of the series? Anybody remember? My Big Fat Mouth. Some of you guys are scared to say that. Can we say that in church? Yes, you can. My Big Fat Mouth. And I mentioned the reason why a series on our words matters. I talked about that last week. Because we mentioned that it all matters, right? It all matters. If God exists... And if he sent Jesus to live, to die, and to resurrect in our place for our sins, then it all matters. There's ramifications to that truth, including how we use our words. As followers of Jesus, we want to live our lives in a way that honors God. We want to honor God with our lives. And that includes how we use our words. That includes also our actions. That includes our habits. That includes our relationships. And guess what? That even includes our thoughts. So we look to God's word. We look to to God's word for direction. We look to this for how we live our lives. The Bible also teaches us that when we become followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes residence within us. And the Bible calls him the counselor or our guide, which means that the spirit of God works in and through us to convict us of sin, to humble us towards a posture of repentance, something we've been talking a lot about on Fridays. To, to humble us to a, a selfless attitude of love and service to others, and even inspires us to do good works for the glory of God and the good of others. Right? If, if this God thing is real, if God is really at work, then there's ramifications to how we live our lives. And that means that if we have genuinely put our faith in Christ, then our lives are going to look dramatically different than the rest of this world. Right? We live in a world that has not submitted to Jesus. And instead it submits to its own sinful and evil desires. And so that means that there should be a difference between the way someone who professes to be a follower of Jesus and the rest of this world. But there's a very real pressure, isn't there? Do you guys sense it? Have you felt the pressure? There's a pressure that seems to be constantly pulling at us. A pressure that's constantly drawing us in and attempting to suck us away from living our lives in a way that honors God and in a way that's obedient to the Bible. It seems that the world has a different approach than God's heart and desire for how He intended us to live our lives. In fact, it's even contrary. The rest of this world seems contrary to God's original design. Everything from God's design for marriage to God's establishing of the family, from how we view and manage our finances to how we view issues of morality and everything in between, God's way is radically different from the rest of this world. Why is that? Why is this so different? Well, because of sin, it's one reason. And another reason is because of our spiritual enemy, Satan, who the Bible says is the ruler of this world. From the Garden of Eden on, our world has been chaotically sabotaged to contradict God's original design. And as a result, we find ourselves somewhere in the middle, feeling the pressure of living our lives in a way that brings glory to God, in a way that honors God, a God-fearing life. But in the process, I don't want to feel like a fool doing that, maybe even facing persecution because of it. You know, guys, Jesus warned us about this in the Bible. I would love for you guys to read these two verses with me. It's John chapter 15, verse 18 and 19. And Jesus warned us. You, can, you guys have it in your notes and it's on the screen. You can read it with me. Ready, go. If the world hates you, 
Understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world what? The world hates you. This pressure, this pressure, the pressure exists. It's there. Your heart's desire to please God and to live for God and for the glory of God and to be obedient to the Bible, but your sinful flesh pulling you in the opposite direction. And as a result, maybe you start feeling like this. I have a little illustration I want to show you guys just to kind of get our message across this morning. You know, maybe you feel like this egg right here. I have a nice hard-boiled egg. Melissa said the whole place is going to smell like boiled egg. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. I have this hard-boiled egg right here. Maybe you feel like this egg where there's this pressure uh, around you. And we have this glass jar here. Let's say, let's say this is you. And this is representative of of your faith in Jesus. If you put your faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit is actively working in your life and in your heart to do less things the world way and more things like God's way, right? And so you're outside of the world. You know, the Bible says you're in the world, but not you're not of this world. And this jar, you know, represents the world, right? Paul says that you are in the world governed by its current systems and policies and but ultimately, your citizenship is in heaven, is not in this world. But let's say this glass bottle is that world, and it's full of pressure to deny your faith. Because you don't want to be the only eyeball at work, or the only weirdo at school, that doesn't do what everybody else does, or has the same views that everybody else has. And so you attempt to delicately walk the line and you try to fit into the world's mold but remember we're in the world not of the world we're outside of it and you walk this delicate line where you just can't fit you just don't seem to fit but you feel the pressure the pressure the pressure of caving in i asked barrios uh, earlier today said could this egg fit inside this jar he said sure he could and he started thumbing his jump in, his thumb into it he almost broke he almost broke all of you this is you you would have been smashed to pieces but I want to show you guys what the pressure can do to you uh, if you allow it. And I'm going to try to do this little science experiment here. If it doesn't work, you guys make me feel good anyway. Okay, we're going to try our best. Here's what the pressure does. Uh, a little science lesson for those of you uh, that are into Look at this, two matches in one. Let's say if you are into science, you know that there's pressure all around us, right? Even if you don't feel it, air is pressure. There's also pressure inside of this bottle here as well. Uh, we put the egg inside. It doesn't go in. There's pressure pushing out. There's pressure pulling in. And, of course, the egg doesn't quite fit into the hole. It's bigger than the hole. But I want to show you guys what happens whoa, with the pressure. I'm going to try to light that paper. I completely missed the paper. It went out. Let me try it again. I missed the game. It's on? Oh, my gosh. I want to show you guys what the pressure can have. Look. <laughs> Thank you very much. But the egg is you. The glass is the world. He just got sucked into the world. Okay? It's not a good thing. You see, guys, <laughs> if you allow the world to, it'll make a hard-boiled egg into an omelet. All right? And if that's you, 
You don't fit into the world's mold. Paul said, you're in the world, not of it. Our citizenship is in heaven. But if you allow it, the world will suck you dry and it'll pull you into its grasp. And today we're kicking off a brand new series through the book of Daniel. And we're going to take a few of the key ideas from the book of Daniel. Daniel is very, very profound. So we're just going to take a few of the key ideas from the book for the next five weeks. And what you're going to notice is that for Daniel and his friends, they dealt with that very same pressure that you and I deal with. That pressure that you feel when you're mocked by your unbelieving friends and family. That pressure you feel to partake in those dirty conversations and to laugh at those inappropriate jokes with your friends at school, even though you know that that's not God-honoring. That pressure you feel to compromise with your purity or morally, because it's just not that big of a deal to everyone else, so why does it matter for me? Daniel felt that pressure. So over the next few weeks, we're going to see and look at how he dealt with it. Let's open up the Bible, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Here's what it says. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem, and what did he do? He laid siege to it. What does that mean? He took it over. All right? The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him along with some of the vessels from the house of God, Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, little g God, and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. So here's what's happening so far, guys, in the book of Daniel. We have one nation that's conquering another nation, the nation of Babylon, which is ruled by King Nebuchadnezzar. He conquers the kingdom of Judah. And of course, the kingdom of Judah comes from the line of David. In other words, these are God's chosen people, the Israelites, right? The kingdom of Judah. But they're laid siege by King Nebuchadnezzar. The Israelites follow God and they obey the scriptures a lot of the times, not all the times. However, the Babylonians do not. They worship and they sacrifice to false gods. And as a result, they live ruthless and lawless and immoral lives. These are the people that are taking over Judah. So they lay conquer, they lay siege to Judah. Pick it up in verse 3. The king ordered Ashpenaz, the, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility. Young man, without any physical defect, good looking, such as myself, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, that was a joke guys, by the way, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. So here's what happens. The king sends his henchmen to go and pick the cream of the crop, right? The pick of the litter, so to speak. And he wants to comb through all the people that were exiled, and he wants the best of the best to serve him in the king's palace. And guess who do you think is included in that mix? Daniel. Daniel's included in that mix. So are three other men that we'll have a chance to talk more about uh, during the series. Now, what's about to happen next is interesting. And it shares stark similarities with a lot of the same pressures that you and I wrestle with daily. The king is going to order his chief eunuch to train these guys in the way of the Babylonians. So get this. The godless, immoral, ruthless king wants to train up these God-fearing men in the way of his kingdom, not the Lord's kingdom. 
So as we continue to dig this passage apart, here's a couple things that I think that we can learn. Take your message notes out. There's a couple fill in the blanks for you to follow along with there. Here's number one. You can write this in. The world wants to shape you. The world wants to shape you. Look at the way it's said in Daniel chapter 1 verse 4. He was to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. All right, so the king tells Ashpenaz to go ahead and teach Daniel and his friends and these chosen few, teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The first thing the king demands for his eunuch to do is to teach these Hebrew men a new language and to study their textbooks. And essentially what the king was asking was to give these, new guys, these guys a new identity and to shape them into the Babylonian way of living. It's what the king was asking. Essentially, the king was attempting to indoctrinate these men with their, own, with their own false theologies and ideologies and theories. The king, in essence, was asking these men to erase their Hebrew identities as Israelites and conform to the Babylonian identity. <clears throat> he even removed their speech or their dialect. In other words, even the way they spoke, the way they read, what they read and wrote, it would all have to change under the king's rule, rulership. The literature they would read, the, the books, the textbooks, the scrolls that they would have to study, they all had opposing information to what they had learned all their lives and all they had studied from the books of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. The Babylonians' literature had its own origin stories, how the world began. And stories about various gods, not unlike the many, you know, the Greek gods that maybe you had to study and read about in your English classes at school. And Daniel and his friends were being squeezed into this new mold. And it didn't matter to the king if this mold contradicted what they already knew and already held to be true. It didn't matter to the king. Now let me ask you guys a question. In what ways are you being shaped to fit into the world's mold? Let me tell you, it's all around us. You are constantly being schooled. You're constantly being schooled by this world on how to think, on how to reason, on how to live morally, on how to react, on how to respond, on how you should talk, or how, or how you should, or sh what you shouldn't expect. You're constantly being schooled all the time by this world. And I hate to break it to you, but the world's education doesn't give a rip about your God. The world, this world's education doesn't give a rip about your faith. The world doesn't care about your conviction. And everything that Daniel was being taught, everything that he was being forced to study contradicted and went against what he already knew of the God of the Bible. And all around us, all the time, we are constantly receiving information, all of which is contrary to living a God-honoring, God-fearing life. Whether that's through the billboards on Wyckoff Ave, or whether that's through the advertisements on TV, or even through the latest movies or, the, or your favorite TV show that you love to binge on Netflix, or your professors and teachers at university or in school, constantly trying to teach you contradicting information to the God of the Bible. And we're constantly surrounded by the pressures of this world teaching us and opposing us, contradicting messages from that of which we hold to be true according to the scripture, to the God of the Bible, and according to our faith. But, number two in your notes, write this down. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. 
Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Daniel chapter 1 verse 5 says this. Remember the king said, hey, let's change your language. The Hebrew stuff out the window. We're going to speak the, you know, the language of the Chaldeans. The literature, Torah, throw that out the window. We got our own little books that we want you to study and learn from. Next, verse 5, the king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. So at first glance, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but for Daniel and his friends, this would have been an enormous betrayal of certain Old Testament dietary restrictions that they had, being devout followers of the Torah. This would have been an enormous compromise to eat of the king's table and drink of the king's wine. For example, this would have included certain meats that Daniel was forbidden as a, as a devout Jew. He, was, he would be forced to eat. This included eating meat from animals that possibly could have been sacrificed as worship to false gods. Again, contradictory to what Daniel had learned all his life to avoid. This was prohibited in the Old Testament. This might have even included giving in to too much wine, leading to debauchery, which would have been a huge Contradiction to what Daniel believed. Because after all, they were at the king's table, and who's to stop them from eating all that and drinking all that? There would have been no shortage of wine for sure. But consider this for a second. Imagine a banquet fit for a king and made available for you to eat. Do you think that might have looked appetizing for Daniel? Do you think the king had bad food? Do you think it was cooked poorly? Do you think it was... Cheap, like 7-Eleven wine? What do, you, what do you think he had on the table? The king had the best of the best. The best chefs and the best preparers of the meals. The best food, the pick of the litter. Whatever you wanted, the best of the best. Do you think, if there was anything that Daniel was in a compromise on, do you think this could have been a temptation? To eat some of the best food? Do you think there would have been a temptation to let this one thing slide? After all, what do you want Daniel to do? Do you want him to starve? Guys, I think there's a lesson for us here too. Sometimes some of the ways and some of the things that the world tempts us with and the things that it causes to, it looks appealing. It looks good. It may look good to eat. It may look good to partake in, especially to our sinful flesh. And what happens is that little by little, we might begin to compromise We begin to reason with ourselves and determine, ah, you know, God doesn't really mind if I watch this. Is it really a big deal if we do that? Everyone else is doing it anyway. God is forgiving and he understands that if I compromise in this area, he's very forgiving. But guys, don't drink the Kool-Aid. It may look appetizing. and Maybe it looks real good, but ultimately it leads you to reject God's best and settle for way less. God isn't, listen guys, God is not a cosmic killjoy. Who knows how best to use an invention than the inventor? Who knows the intricacies of a design if not the designer? Who knows what's best for its creation if not its creator? And God's way is not a burn, it's a blessing. And some of you know this firsthand because you've tried to do it your way and now you're facing the consequences of doing it your way. You drank the Kool-Aid and at first it tasted real good, but afterwards you realized that it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. I don't drink the Kool-Aid. It may look appetizing. 
It may look real good, but it's going to pull you away from what God originally designed, God's plan for you. Lastly, number three, it's the last point for today. Do not conform, but be transformed. Do not conform, but be transformed. Daniel 1.5 says this. They were to be trained for how many years? Three. For three years. And at the end of that time, they were to attend the king. So think about this for a second. For the next three years, Daniel would be subjected to Babylon University, the Babylon School of Ethics and Philosophy, and the Theological Seminary of Babylon. For the next three years, he was going to be forced to conform from a devout God-fearing Israelite to a devout pagan Babylonian and really, what you'll see later on, not so much a worshiper of other gods, but truly a worshiper of King Nebuchadnezzar himself. And you'll see that in the weeks to come. Over the next three years, Daniel would be indoctrinated and ingrained with Babylonian theology, Babylonian belief, and customs. He was being told not only to lose his heritage, but to lose his faith, to lose his devotion, and to get rid of his God. And every day, we are being ingrained to conform. But God has not called us to conform, but to be transformed. Thousands of years later, Paul would write this, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Let's read this verse out loud together. Ready, go. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Do not conform. To this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Now, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here and they're going to lead us in a final reflection in a moment of prayer. And as they come up here, I want you guys to ponder this question In what ways are you on a daily basis being called to conform to this age, being called to conform to this world? Have you given in? Have you succumbed to the pressures? Are you like that egg in the glass jar? How do we resist? How do we overcome? How do we thrive in Babylon when we're surrounded by so much resistance and so much opposition? And we're going to continue to discuss this in the next weeks. But Paul gives us a key in this passage, and it begins with renewing our minds. And how do we do that? The answer is that it begins with Jesus. The Bible says that we are sinful by nature and by choice. And that sin creates a chasm between us and God. Our sin not only destroys relationship with one another. Our sin not only destroys relationship with creation and with our own selves. Our sin destroys our relationship with God. And because of our sin, we are eternally separated from our Creator. That is until God made a way through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Creator God enters his creation and he enters your mess. And he enters my mess. And he lives the life that we are incapable of living. One free from sin. And he died the death that we deserve, absorbing the punishment of God's wrath on our behalf. And on the cross, Christ cried out, It is finished meaning that His atoning work 
on our behalf, our debt was paid. And as they laid him in a tomb, his death crushed the sin that crushed us. But three days later, Jesus rose from the grave. And because Jesus lives, we can be free from sin and we can also live freely. The gift of God's grace is made available to anyone. The only prerequisite is faith. Have you put your faith in Jesus? Put your confidence in His work and not your own. Make Jesus your Lord and Savior and see that He can renew your mind so that you can discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Do not conform, but be transformed. How do we become transformed? It begins with the renewing of our mind. How does that happen? By putting your faith and confidence in Jesus. If you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus, then I'm going to give you a moment to reflect and ponder and consider. What is God calling you to do today? And maybe just to put your faith in Him. If you haven't done that, I give you the invitation to put your faith in Him. And it's a decision between you and God. I would never, ever want to force or coerce that out of you. You make the decision between you and God. But I'd love to know. And as your church family, we would love to know. And the way you can let us know is by checking that off on the connection card. And in a moment, you have an opportunity to hand that in. You have an opportunity to respond to the grace of Jesus Christ. And for the rest of us, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have an opportunity to reflect on Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross, paying the penalty for your sin. And I'm going to invite you to partake in communion in just a second. And you can head back to your seat, reflect and pray or sing along with the worship team in this final song. Let's pray. God, we feel pressure constantly. We feel pressure every day. Every moment, we feel the pull. We feel the pain of the world attempting to cram us into its mold. But I pray that you would empower us not to conform to the patterns of this world. God, I pray that we might be transformed by the power of Jesus. And God, for those of us on the fence of our faith, I pray, God, that you would make yourself more clear to them today than ever before. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.